stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! It again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. going on everybody a new week a new episode of your favorite podcast the feed to Embiid. i have my my guy brock uh the muscle shirt is always is always uh, on par and you're you know you're just you're just looking so fresh this week uh how are we i'm cool austin i'm chilling i appreciate you um i've been i've been i've been a little quiet this past week and uh, we're gonna talk about why you know the Sixers lost four games without Ben Simmons and a little bit without Tobias, a couple of close ones, but that's why I've been quiet. I've been trying to get some different content out, so if you don't mind, follow me on Twitter or on YouTube, Landis Brock, Brock Landis, either place. Well, a little bit of a uh, little bit of Julius Randle action going there. Yeah, and I mean, I, I cut out last podcast because of the power power shortage, but we we're talking about most improved player of the year, and we we're both. Um, in mutual agreement that Julius Randle is head and shoulders above the rest of the competition for that award. So I figured I'd put a video out and explain why. Yeah. I, I think he's not in the conversation for it, but well, no, I mean, he is the conversation. Yes. Yes. But I, I would also take it to another level of, he won't win this award, but I would, I, I would venture to say that he deserves a mention in the MVP conversation. So okay, okay. I thought you were gonna say he's not gonna win most improved. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I don't know if you can name more than eight players more impactful than he is this season. Uh, he's more than doubled his assists. He's quarterback of the Knicks offense. He's in a completely different role. Came back, different body, different approach, scoring menace, one-on-one problem. But this isn't a Knicks podcast or a Julius Randle podcast. So we've got bigger fish to fry in Philly specifically. But he's our pick for most improved player of the year. The feed to Julius. I like it. Sounds like a good pod. Not, not uh, quite. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> um, so anyway, Sixers, they, the, I guess as soon as I came home, the bad, the, all the bad started happening. Now they're uh, 0-4 since I've been home. George Hill has not won a game in a Sixers uniform yet. Um, they win against the Clippers last Friday, have not won since. Um, and I, I think this week – You've really seen, and a lot of the fans don't don't want to say it because they they refuse to like have any kind of intellectual like understanding of Ben Simmons outside of like he can't shoot, but <laughs> but the simple fact of the matter is that the, you you the, their defense I think has caved in on itself a lot in the, in this four games um, because of not having Ben um, in the Golden State game. In, in the Golden State game, you know, they're, they're, Steph's getting around ball screens, um, and he is, um, you know, they're, they're they're doing the drop a little bit, which kind of makes sense con- considering that it's Steph. And I think this year, more than any year, he's shown this ability to like catch 
use the up fake and then to sort of read the defense and sort of cut right to the rim with the ball in his hand. I think that this year his decision-making and processing of that has been way quicker. So you have to drop back by default almost because you want to protect from his, from his driving and collapsing and creating shots for uh, his teammates, even as unreliable as they can be at times. Um, so I really thought that like outside of those screens from Draymond Green, the Sixers, <clears throat> the Sixers really miss Simmons' length and uh, physicality in in putting pressure on that inside hip to to to, to force him, you know, to double guess, to do, you know, to, to second guess himself, and um, you know this that type of thing. Um, and he, I mean, it showed. He think he had forty seven points in the game, uh, and he was just killing them. And he was doing like his usual. Like a lot of it was like credit to him. He made unbelievable plays, but the other part of it was. Um, there were times when like he was walking into open jumpers for a reason. I think you're right. I mean, defensively, you can definitely feel the loss. If you think about it, I mean, we kind of talked about it in the last podcast. You were a shooter, Austin. So your role on the floor was to shoot. When, when, when your name was called upon, that's what you were supposed to do. And if we're not talking about you specifically, like you can look towards any team. Each team has a role. And, and each player has a role on that team. Uh, if you can get a guy to play defense the way Ben does, to play with his hands out or his hands up all the way out at half court, pick dudes up that far out and, 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 and just stick on to their number one option, whether it be a point guard, a shooting guard, a small forward, a point forward, whatever, you're definitely going to feel the loss of that when that player is not on the floor. So uh, you can't really reason with people and say that the Milwaukee game, the previous one where they got their brakes blown out, is a different outcome if Ben Simmons is on the floor uh, because there's just nothing to prove that. But it's a different game. It doesn't mean Philly's going to win the game, but it's a different game. It looked towards Phoenix. They fought with Phoenix the entire game. Matisse was on Devin Booker, completely neutralized Booker for three quarters in the fourth. Booker came to life a little bit, but that's a game where if you have been size, maybe it deters other players on the floor. Maybe it makes the defensive rotations a little tighter. Maybe, maybe the communication's a little better. Like, it's things that don't show up on the box score. I think offensively, more important than the defense, the Sixers felt the loss of Ben Simmons. Now, the, the, the first of the two Bucks game was a scheduled loss. I'll call it a scheduled loss, and I'd agree. You play an emotional game against the Suns without Ben, and, and then you got to travel to Phoenix and play Phoenix, or, or you got to travel from Phoenix, rather, to Milwaukee and then play the Bucks. The Bucks had three plus days of rest and they're title contenders. So if they come out sharp, they're going to blow you out if you don't have everybody on the floor and you're not tight. So in the Bucks games, there were definitely things to look at where they might not be holes for the playoffs, but it's just stuff you don't want to see with 15, 16 games to go before the playoffs. But at the same time, like I don't really use these games as measuring sticks because this system is built for everybody to be on the floor together because when they are, they ball historically, like throughout their entire tenure, Ben and Joe, they've balled on the court together with Tobias specifically. They've balled on the court together and this year on the court together, they've balled. So offensively, if Ben's on the court, it just helps Embiid. It takes some pressure off of Embiid to score, but also to create for his teammates. It makes doubling him a little bit harder. It gets him into his spots a little bit easier. So when you minus Ben and, and, and also Tobias, your team's going to look a lot different. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, hey, it's Mayo. You're, Mio, 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 Mio. Mio, your your graphics guy 
says, couldn't help but laugh when Giannis flexed after dunking on Mike Scott. Um, I took issue with that just because I thought it was like horrendous. Because number one, it wasn't like it wasn't like he took Scott to the basket and like threw it over him. It was like it was a it was a back cut that Scott had to turn and rotate on real quickly and couldn't get to it in time, and it ultimately ended up just being a body in the way. Um, and and uh, under the circumstance of like there was no way around it, and then Giannis flexes on him I'm like, dude, he's he's what six eight, and you're six eleven. I don't have a problem with that type of stuff. The the, the reason yeah, I, I don't, don't have a problem I don't have a problem with celebrating if you actually posterize somebody, but that oh, I, I, mean, I thought, listen, it, thought it was like a very embarrassing. Here's the thing, right? There. Like I have these conversations with my friends and. This is kind of anecdotal because we were playing. We had some runs Saturday, and I was playing with a dude that was like probably 6'2", 6'3". And he was one of the best hoopers I've ever played with in my life. And he's out there giving buckets, going right at the defense, scoring, throwing off the glass, like doing ridiculous things. And I'm talking to my friends. I'm like, this is probably the best hooper you've ever played with, or one of, if not the best, right? What do you think he would look like against TJ McConnell? And they're like, bro, TJ McConnell would wash him. There's a reason. Like the 15th man on any roster would wash anybody on any court in, in any gym in America. And it just kind of puts things into perspective. It's like these dudes are all 6'5 plus on the court. And you got to work to get your buckets. Like you're not going up against Muggsy Bogues. You're not going up against Damian Lillard on these possessions. Like you're going up against 6'7, 6'8, 6'9 dudes, grown men. You got to work for every single bucket and defensively you got to hold your own. So I'm completely okay with you scoring and then letting your nuts hang. I'm, I'm completely okay with flexing, doing all that. If you want to make fun of Thanasis for taking a charge and then screaming until he gets an aneurysm and then the Bucks social posting that, showing it off, then it's like, that might be a little embarrassing. But for Giannis, I mean, when you watch the dude, like, he's just so gifted. I mean, you can say what you want about the fact that he's a genetic freak the size he is and how the game is easy for a guy his size because he's just got to run right through you or, or run right at you, and the paint will clear and he gets his buckets. But he's a freak athlete. Watching him play is a privilege. And if this dude wants to get 38 points on, on, on Mike Scott and, and flex, you can only play who's in front of you. I mean, he's not going to go out there and not try to shoot and not try to score because he's playing Mike Scott in the Sixers. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying if you dunk on the guy, it, it's not like it's a dunk that we didn't expect to happen or that it was some yeah, like yeah. – I, I, I do hear you, but in the in the third quarter, I think he had what, like 12, 12 points in the third, 14 yeah. in the third, whatever. He got hot. He was dunking, hitting Jays, hitting threes, step backs. He's letting you know. You guys are doing all this talk, and your boy Embiid says he's the MVP. Ben says he's the depoy. Doc gets on every national interview and, and and says with his chest, "You guys been loving the one seed. Well, guess what? I'm coming to take it from you. That's what Giannis is thinking, and 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 I love that. I think the sport needs it. All right, fair enough. Because uh, listen, his time will come. Joel didn't forget when he sat on the logo. Joel didn't forget that. Ben didn't forget it. His time will come, but I'm completely cool with that. Let me ask you this. Who is the best player you've ever played against? Like, like, like competitively me played against? You said, you, said, you said when you were hooping with your boys. I have no idea. I have no idea because we don't play – like we, we're not playing anybody with a name. 
But I just mean like in getting the open runs or, or playing pickup, like you play with some dudes that either play college ball or never played, played overseas and came back. Like you run into some dudes that can, that can really bust people. I didn't play with anybody that has a name, but I know you have. So this, this is probably more applicable to you. Well, I was thinking to play it against. And I would say uh, this was like a purely on like a pickup game. Yeah. That just happened to be like coinciding with a workout that they were doing with Chuck. Ty Carlin? No. Um, but Dion Waiters. You played against Dion in pickup. Like my team did. Okay. Okay. Marcus Morris. Mook. And Marquise okay. Morris. And mind you, they were all together. They were all together. Yeah, playing. So, so you were getting a North Philly run. We, yeah, we got waxed. It was like 96 to like 35. <laughs> 96 to 35. What were you guys playing at? You got you have officials there? What was it? Just an open yeah, run? Officials. Yeah, it was rec league. We we had an actual oh, exactly. we had an actual planned game. And I think like um one of the teams didn't show up yeah. or whatever. And so they're like, we'll get some extra work in, we'll get some running, we'll we'll play. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I wouldn't have been cool with that. Yeah, absolutely not. But oh, um, I, oh, I thought it was. Oh, I thought I thought it was. I thought it was though. It was hilarious. Um, but yeah, they were they were very very they were very 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 good. Um, anyway, back to back to more important things. Um, they play the Suns on on Wednesday. Um, that was a wild game. That game was was awesome. That game had had everything. They obviously punched up punched above their uh, their belt a little bit with the. Um, you know, with being able to hang in without Ben there. Um, what can you say about like Chris Paul and book? Um, I feel like if Chris Paul were like in his prime around the early two thousands, I think he would have had, I think he'd have at least one MVP under his belt. Well, don't get it twisted. Chris Paul is one of the greatest, if not the greatest point guards to ever lace up. He just played in a very tough generation. He dealt with some injuries, potentially that Rockets team wins a championship, but you got to think he ran into the Spurs dynasty. He ran into Kobe Bryant. He ran into LeBron. He had, he had to play the Warriors. Like it's not easy to win, especially with this much talent in the league. But I honestly don't think Chris Paul is is really out of his prime. I think he's the type of player that no matter what happens, if he's thirty years old, if he's eighty years old, he's always going to have it, just because he's got that mind and that vision. So as long as his body can hold up. He'll be out there doing Chris Paul things. So he might not be giving you 28, 12, and 5 steals anymore. He does occasionally. But if he could give you 12, 8, and 2 or 3 and command a team and and see the floor and quarterback everything out there, that's all you want. Like he's doing his job to a T. And I don't think there have been many to do it better than Chris Paul. Sure. And and, and Devin Booker, I mean, you probably know how I feel. But Devin Booker, he's – Right behind Embiid and, and and Simmons and Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker is one of my favorite players in basketball. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the game in a year or two. He's one of like the three or four guys I'd trade Ben for. Yeah, and and you know I hate these conversations. You know I hate these conversations, but there's probably five or six guys in the league that that you would trade anybody for that wasn't named LeBron, KD, or Kawhi. I think Devin Booker's one of them. Zion Williamson's one of them too. In two, three years, I'm completely confident that both of them will be the face of the NBA. Yeah, I don't know that I'd trade Ben for Zion right now. I would. I, I would. 
I don't trust the body. I just don't trust the body. And he's I not. mean, that's, that's, that, that's, that's fair. That's very fair. And yeah. you know, I, again, you know how I feel about these conversations. I don't like having them because you don't have to. Um, but I, I, I genuinely think Zion is, is going to be one of the most dominant scorers to ever play basketball period. I mean, Van Gundy just instilled confidence and good habits into him. And he's kind of gave him the green light to bring the ball up and, embody this point guard role at his position and I don't know how you stop him like he's 20 years old he's not even close to filling his body out so if you think like if you've ever seen a 28 year old play in person like you know it's a grown man out there and you can tell when you watch like Tobias or Embiid those are grown men Zion's 20 years old and making grown men look like ragdolls so when he's a grown grown man like 25 years old fully build his body out and everything. I don't know how you're going to stop him. I just don't. He's too nimble for his size. Brock, what do you think of this take? In no world is Booker better than Ben Simmons. Uh, this is a take that – this is a take that I feel like if you presented it outside of Philadelphia, nobody would really agree with it. Um, I, I think that <laughs> – In Philadelphia, no one would really agree with it. <laughs> yeah, in Philly too. But there's there's also a small percentage of people that would really agree with this. Here's what I'll say. At the moment, I don't even know if I'd say that. Ben Simmons defensively is most definitely a deep boy candidate and a game changer on that end. So defense does matter. Playmaking does matter. Facilitating does matter. That's 75% of the game. And, and, and Ben, he gives you that better than 98% of players in the league do. And that's why he's a three-time All-Star Rookie of the Year and the coaches vote him in. Everybody speaks so highly of him in the game. But in terms of offense – like, there's very few players in the league better at getting a bucket when you need them to than Devin Booker. He can get one at all three levels. He could be 40 feet out and cash at three. He can drive. He could give you the blues with his handles. He could step back. He could fade. He could score at the elbow. He could play make a little. So, in terms of just the offensive creation, I think Devin Booker's a top 10 creator in the game. Give him two, three years, I most definitely think he'll be a top five player in the game. I mean, he scored 70 points when he was what 21 years old and somehow got better like significantly better yeah um i think i would probably do that trade i mean i uh, i i don't think i don't know who the better players i think you can make the argument either way but i think the better fitting piece right right now is probably um devin booger so and here's cool. another thing. So I don't know if Ben cares. I doubt he does because Ben is Ben Forbes 30 before 30 is a very wealthy man. 6'10 Australian. Like he's good. He's good. He's eating. But I saw Ben, uh, not Ben. I saw Devin with Kendall Jenner last night. Apparently the Hollywood fix and, and, and paparazzi was tweeting it all out that Kendall Jenner and Devin Booker were spotted in New York uh, last night ahead of the Brooklyn Nets game. And Ben has a history with Kendall. So I, I really do think there's some animosity there. Probably. I don't know if there's I don't know if they don't like each other, if it's ever been brought up, if Ben cares, but just speaking from experience, just speaking from experience, if those two were to go against each other every time, they're circling that game. They're circling that game on the schedule. So I don't know. That might give Ben more fuel to the fire. We'll see. Um before we go to the, to our first uh advertisement, how incredible that shot against uh for, for joel catch that to catch that ball not even come down with it but just to just pivot and throw it 
and he it was down and out. That that, that arguably would have been the best shot in the in, in the past century of basketball. Like the implication of that game on the line tied up. Yeah, that's a good enough shot. But the fact that it was right after the free throw and he had absolutely no chance to really square up to get his feet right to even consider a shot like he just chucked a prayer up and it rimmed out like that. It had the potential to be one of the greatest shots that I've ever seen in basketball history, but it didn't go in. Unfortunately, it was still fun to fun to watch nonetheless. Yeah, I can. uh, I think I would probably say that was that that would go down as one of the greatest shots in basketball history. I mean, you got to think about con- like like the Damian Lillard playoff shot. I mean, he's hit three or four of them, notably the one against OKC. Like he's hit plenty of playoff shots that might be like you, you, you add some context better than that shot. But I don't know. Just the fact that he, he caught that off the off the rim and it nearly went in with absolutely like no understanding of where he was on the floor, or how to even square that shot up. Like it was just crazy that it even came close to going in. Right. I mean, I wouldn't call it the greatest shot, but I would say it's it's one of the more improbable yeah, it had the potential shots in basketball history. Mm-hmm. And I think for that um, that alone is it would have been in the conversation. Um Matisse was all over Booker in that game. And I I think the most incredible thing about both Ben and Matisse is their agility to like contest or or cheat and then it not like get killed for it because they can they have the quickness to just to get back and can put a good contest on a shot so many guys they're too slow they're not big enough they're not strong enough whatever they they, they go to try to um you know they, they go to cheat a passing lane or whatever they're getting burnt and then they're getting benched the, these two those two guys they that they, they do it quick turn and get back and they recover and they're blocking the shot and i think it allows for a little bit of margin of for error within your defense but i also think that it makes teams second guess when to shoot and what and and and, you know like the shots that 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 they want um and i thought like booker he had a he generally overall had a pretty good game but matisse i thought did a phenomenal job on him just even if he like even if booker was was able to clear screens and get around Matisse was like right there and either forcing him to put it on the deck and, 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 and create something else or, you know, making him the least bit uncomfortable with, um, with, with catch and shoots because he had him, mean, even if he was behind the screen, still the arm was up, the hand was up. He, he you, the booker felt the pressure. I'm really great. Glad you raised that point because if you think about how a player like booker scores in the half court specifically, clearing those screens and the defender gets caught on the screen and there's a switch. That's a high probability bucket for Devin Booker. Or if he's going one-on-one, just creating a little pocket of space, getting the defender on your hip, getting the defender on your heel behind you, whatever. And Matisse really negated all of that. Like he was fighting through screens. He was getting over them. He was sticking with Devin one-on-one, just making shots difficult. Like you said, off the catch, getting a handout, contesting. And that's why I really despise the argument that Ben doesn't care or that he just coasts and that he made the playoffs and he's taken off because I'd argue that playing defense at the level they're playing it is more difficult than anything offensively. Like it's more difficult than scoring. If you got to play with your hands out or your hands up for a full, let's say 32 minutes or in 
Jesus case, 25 minutes and you're strapped up, like that takes a lot of effort. And, and, and there's also a lot of film study that goes into that too. So for both of them, I think it's just a privilege to have them. Like you've got two rock steady defenders that can play great on-ball defense and the rotations can be real good because off-ball and passing lanes, they're real active as well. You're talking about two guys that are completely different in terms of builds, Ben 6'10", Matisse 6'5", 6'6", but they've both got seven foot plus wingspan. So even though Matisse isn't Ben's height, like he can still close out just as well because he's got a similar wingspan and that's very underrated defensively. I don't think you can name a better trio than Ben, Joel, and Embiid. And I've said it for four weeks now, five weeks. Defense and chemistry is a pillar for the championship. Ben, what did I say? ben Joel, and Embiid. I mean, uh, you know what I meant. They have two Embiid's over. Ben Matisse and Embiid, uh, uh, whatever they two, his name They got is. two Embiid's. It's over for the league. League and forget yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Brock, let's, let's talk about our, our, first, uh, our first sponsor. Yeah, absolutely. So if you like shotgunning beer or if you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, you got to cop one of these. One of these multi-dimensional tools. It's called a King Cobra. If you've been watching the Feet to Embiid, you already know. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more info about the King Cobra, check them out on IG at the King Cobra Co. That's King Cobra Co., and Cobra is spelled with a K for a 10% discount on all products. Enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10. All caps, one word, AK. Tell them. Tell them. Pick yours up today. Tell them. Let them know. That's right. Help us make a Let little bit. Help us make a little bit of dough on, on this, on this year's project. Um, so going back to, to – then they go to, the, they go to Milwaukee for two. I think Doc had a point with what he said about the first game. Like – that was a scheduled loss. I mean, it, I mean, it was. The Bucks had off since Monday. Sixers had, had just played a, a tough, tough Phoenix team um, and nearly won the game. Expensed a lot of energy in that. He got to hot Tobias Harris back, but he was still out of rhythm a little bit. And the, they really had no chance against, against the Bucks in that game. Um, now, to be fair and you know, objective about it, I don't know why. Uh, I, I I just don't know why Joel played that game, the first game, instead of the second game. Like, why not rest him for the Thursday for the Thursday game? Well, and that's, then- that's one of those things that that would have happened under Brett Brown and his regime. And well, I do think that I I, I kind of thought that that regime kind of babied their players with injuries. And Embiid said, "Well, I'm the leader of this team." If people are looking up to me, I got to go suit up and play. I mean, he's missed 18 games this season. His 19th, I believe, was the second against Milwaukee. So for Embiid, he's like, you know what? I I, I got to be a leader. And he probably went to Doc and Daryl Morian was like, listen, I want to play. They're like, all right, well, we scheduled for you to sit out. But if you want to play, go play. It's your, it's your decision. And that, I think, is different under Brett Brown. But I think that was strictly motivated by Embiid. Okay, I mean, I, I think Embiid hit his shoulder in that first game, and I think yeah. that's what knocked him out yesterday. So I think he probably would have tried to. I think the the deep down intention was to play both games because I think he knows that, that he's losing that that MVP conversation now, and the more games he misses, the less likely it's becoming. Even though I think it's already just about out of reach for him. Um, but that you know that, that Milwaukee team, number one, 
they blitzed them with threes um, in the first game. And part of, part of it was like the Sixers just were not very good defensively. But the other part was like the Bucks were just making every single three they threw up there. And it was really just, it was, I mean, you couldn't compete with it. It was like you make, you, you know, you, you, uh, you know, the Sixers, I think, shot like above 50% from the field or whatever it was, 55%. And they still lost by. And they couldn't hit it through either. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was it that was that, and then yesterday's game was yesterday's game. So they go zero and four this week. They cough up first place in the East. Now they're a game and a half back um, of that first place spot. They they are they've lost the season series to the Bucks. They have won it against Brooklyn. What is your level of concern? Non-existent. It doesn't really? exist. Okay. It doesn't exist. I think these are sobering moments, and I think it's moments that the fan base needs just to bring them back to reality because when you're sitting pretty in the one seed, everyone's coming for your spot. you got to understand that if you're the top dog, people want you. People see that on the schedule, and they want you. They see the attention. They see the media and, and, and people in the media gravitating towards that team and your food to them just as much as their food to you. If not, they have more of a chip on their shoulder because you're the top dog. So teams are going to be coming for you. And I, I think these sobering moments kind of remind people that the Sixers aren't invincible. When they're at their best, you can't be too high. And we're at, when they're at their worst, you can't be too low. You've got to kind of remain stoic throughout a basketball season. That's what Kobe Bryant did. And Kobe Bryant's one of the most winning players in the game, in the game's history. So – my level of concern is non-existent because, like I said earlier, I don't use these games as measuring sticks. Y you almost have to because it's like there's still games. They still matter. The Bucks are still a top three seed. The Suns are still a top three seed. But at the same time, like I said, this team is built for collective success. Joel Embiid needs Ben Simmons as much as Ben Simmons needs Joel Embiid, and it's the same for Tobias. Tobias needs both of them just as much as they need him. The game is easier for Tobias when those two are on the floor. The game is easier for Embiid when those two are on the floor. And the game is easier for Simmons and his, his shooters, Danny Green, Seth, when, he, when, when Embiid and Tobias are on the floor. So the team is built for collective success. When you take a guy like George Hill, who doesn't know the playbook or the scheme or what it's like to play with anybody on the floor yet, and throw him into a role that he doesn't really know yet, there, there's bound to be some problems there. You're asking a lot from Tyrese Maxey, who definitely stepped up, but you can't carry a team past the Milwaukee Bucks for two games. Shake Milton struggling for three games really came at the worst time. So I'm not concerned at all because I've seen what I had to see. And like I told you last podcast episode, these last 15 games, 14 games, they don't mean anything to me. Seating matters, but to me, these games don't really mean anything. It's about getting to the playoffs healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have a moderate level of concern just because, like, they're not just a game back of the Nets now. They're a game and a half back of the Nets. So, wait, let me ask you. Are you more concerned about the seeding or more concerned about their team come playoff time? The seeding, for sure. Okay. The team is what it is. Um, and th that is a pretty darn good basketball team. Um what I would say is 
you're basically going to be banking on it's in order, in order to get that one seed, which I think is critical because that's the difference between playing Milwaukee in the second round and playing like the Knicks in the second round. And I mean, come on, that's a world of difference. I, hey, listen, <laughs> it is, but the Knicks are good. Knicks are good, but they, they ain't they ain't that deep. They ain't that deep. Um, Milwaukee hasn't proven anything in the past three years of playoff that, basketball either. There's not a single player in the Knicks that's been in the playoffs besides Derrick Rose. But Coach Tibbs been there before. Okay. Um, so I think that one seed is very important. And now, you're, now that you're a game and a half back, you're basically having to bank on the Nets – Losing two games in a row, essentially, at some point, and you also got to win every. I, I think right now they're in a spot where they have to win virtually every game. What to just to maintain the one seed? To 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 be in competing to be in it for the one seed. See, like, I'm not as worried about I'm not as worried about the seeding as people are. The way I feel is like, show me my opponent. I'd rather get to the playoffs healthy with a three seed than get there burnt out with a one seed. And listen, you don't know what's going to happen with Brooklyn, right? They shut down James Harden for the rest of the season. Who knows? I mean, KD showed out today, came off the bench and dropped 32, 33 points. Like it was nothing. I mean, Kyrie went like 21 for 33 shooting. They looked fantastic, but who knows? Maybe Brooklyn says we're going to shut KD down in two, three games and get him healthy for the playoffs. I mean, well, that's a different story. And I think that's something that could possibly happen. That's what I mean. That's why I'm not really worried about the seating. If, if you look towards the West, like now Utah has got to play for extended periods of time without Donovan Mitchell. The Nuggets are without Jamal Murray. SGA got hurt. Curry got hurt. And B got hurt before. Michael Porter Jr. got hurt. Giannis got hurt. Like you don't know what's going to happen on any given night. And, I'd rather get to the playoffs fully healthy than burnt out with the one seed. Now, the one seed is critical, like you said, for the home court advantage. If, if you bring someone on your home court, then you're golden because you really got to go out and win one, two games on the road, and that's that. Plus, the path to the finals or the Eastern Conference finals is a lot less of a bloodbath than it would be at the three. The three is really what you don't want. But I'm still not concerned because I'm confident in this group and confident in the coach. I still think they're the hardest team to match up with physically than anybody in the East. And like at the end of the day, the Nuggets could have the MVP and good seating and still get bounced in the first round because of LeBron James. No, they're gonna get bounced in the first round because they overplayed their their point guard and and, and now he's and now he's out. Like like well, like, I don't like, know if they overplay their point this guard. Is, Adam this, Silver this, making their schedule yeah. is giving dudes hell. Yes. Yes, he's probably more to play. Just do it. By the way, I, with I, the only part about the resting thing that pisses me off to even a remote extent is the fact that like this was the CBA that, that everyone agreed to. Like, like basically, it was then negotiated in bad faith. I get, and and at the end of the day, what's the top priority? Fill in that RSN, the Regional Sports Network deal, because that's the TV deal that's going to make all the money. So at the end of the day, it was the same thing last season with the bubble. They didn't care about the plan or anything like that. They had to get eight games in. They needed eight regular season games to fulfill the RSN to get their money. And then they went to the play-in. And then they went to the playoffs. But those eight games were strictly, hey, let's make our money. So at the end of the day, you know what the point of emphasis is. I still think Adam Silver cares about 
the health of the players around the league because it's way tougher to market if all these dudes are dropping like flies. But the condensed schedule, the quick turnaround, the lack of an offseason, COVID, all these things matter. So at the end of the day, getting to the playoffs healthy is the priority. I think that's why LeBron – I mean, listen, LeBron, I'm not going to question his injury, but you can't tell me that if this is 27-year-old LeBron, he's not saying, I'm good, let's go. Let, let's turn up and let's get that one seed, let's go. But he's probably a little more cautious, like, okay, there's bigger fish to fry, we'll make the playoffs, and I'm LeBron. We've got AD, we've got Dennis Schroeder, Trez, Drummond. When we get in the first round, it doesn't matter if we're the one seed or the eight seed. We like our chances, and I think the Sixers might start to think the same way. If we've got a healthy Embiid, Simmons, and Tobias, I don't care about the Bucks or Miami or the Knicks or Charlotte. We like our chances, so get there healthy. Yeah, um, PMAX says, should we be concerned about Embiid shoulder, uh, or is it nothing? I, I don't think it's anything to be worried about. Um, I think he hit it when he he kind of like jammed it a little bit uh, on one of the there's like a foul against the Bucks in the first game and he jammed it on that and played through it um, and then I think yesterday was just sort of like we probably don't have a chance anyway so let's just let him let him, let him rest this out um, and I think he'll be back tomorrow hopefully um, but um, I, I was talking to somebody with 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 them with the Sixers last night um, just like casually texting with them and um i asked them i was like do you is there some is there like any level of internal worry about the seating and they were like no not really um the one or two seed is the priority really obviously went the one seed but the two seeds also not the worst case because i I mean think about it this way if you you have two seed you're basically guaranteed four home court games per playoff round for the first two rounds and so you can you can you you could lose all three away games and still win the series. Now, if you win one away game, then you're really putting the the axe and the pressure on the away team. Um, obviously, if they if they come into your building and, and beat you once or twice on your floor, then there's some there's there's an issue there. But I, you know, I, I think the one or the two seat has to be the priority. Um, <clears throat> but I think you're right. I I, I think the Nets are going to be. Um, trying to get their bodies warmed up for the, what for the playoffs but by the same token the last thing they want is to see another hamstring or another mm-hmm. thigh contusion or an ankle or this or that you know it, two weeks or a week before the playoff starts where a guy's out for three weeks or whatever um so I, I do think that they're gonna be conservative and that's that might give the sixers a window but I, I still think that they're gonna be in a tough spot because you're basically asking a Nets team to lose two games in a row. Um, and I, I don't know that I think that's going to happen. They do have a tough schedule ahead. Um, there's, there's, I think it's like the Sixers have three games against plus 500 opponents, um, remaining, and two of them are against the Hawks, who don't have Trey Young. One's against Miami, and the others are all under 500 teams. Orlando twice, yeah, yeah, Washington a couple of times, yeah. But the uh, thing is, too, like. A team that might worry about seeding, for example, would be Miami from last year in the bubble. It's like we want to get the easiest path to the finals. We don't want to run through the top dogs. But the Sixers are a top dog. And I'm confident because their entire coaching staff has been there before. Ben, Joe, and Tobias have been there, but not under a coaching staff there before. So this is a really confident group of players. And the statistics aside, like you can just tell by the chemistry, how they carry themselves, 
They're playing winning basketball. They're confident every single night that they lace up. Like that Miami game last night with no Embiid or two nights ago, the Phoenix game, it just goes to show that they've got confidence playing with whoever's on the floor. And that's not something you really saw. It was like when Embiid and Simmons didn't play, chalk it up. Nobody's watching the game. It's an L. And while that feeling might be the same this season, at least you know the team's going to come out and compete. They at least think or play like they're still going to win without those players. So you've got a coaching staff that's been here before, and it just comes down to this. Act like you've been here before. If we're the one, two, or three seed, it doesn't matter. We like who we're going to play, and we like how we play, so let's go. But they're not looking ahead. I, I really think – I mean, Doc said it every single interview in the past, like, three weeks – because that's all they keep asking him, MVP in the seating. And his answer is the same almost every time. It's generally we're not looking ahead. Like somebody asked him about Brooklyn when Brooklyn was resting KD or Kyrie. He said, I didn't even know we were playing Brooklyn until you just brought it up. Like this game just ended. And that's how they're carrying themselves. I think that's how the fans should too. But they're fans. I can't really expect anything different. <laughs> that's right. Uh, before I read the second ad, Aram says, who is better, KD or Embiid? Uh, I need more context. I need more context. See, when I was younger, I used to be able to weigh it in a vacuum and not think about it too much, and I would have answered that question without a problem. But now it's like, well, how can I grade them on defense when they play two different positions that are where the defense is like completely – their role within the defense is much different. Um, I would go ahead. Go ahead. I really don't know. I, Past I, I, ten years, you can't name me two players better than Kevin Durant. Oh no, you can only name one. That's, that's not the question. I mean, yeah, I, know, I know, but I'm saying years, that's Kevin why Durant, I need more context. Arguably, uh, that's why I, I need more because Kevin look, is 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 top two, and he might not be two. This is true. I'd say it's LeBron most definitely. Then yeah. you could argue Kawhi Leonard. You you could argue Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion. I, I was ready to call Kawhi the best pe- player in basketball last season if he won the finals in the bubble. I was about – I, 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 for me, he was the best player in the league last uh, after the Toronto run. Exactly. But, so but Getting back to the question, Aram's question, because we yeah. kind of skirted around that a little bit. Um I just feel like it lacks context because right now I think Embiid's more physically dominant. Like he can, he, he can put his footprints all over a game more than KD could at, I, at this point. I think it's Kevin Durant, but I mean, KD's KD. I, I, I think it's, I think it's Kevin Durant just because I think Kevin Durant has an element of playmaking that Embiid doesn't have. Um, but I, I think it's a lot closer than it was like just four years ago. Yeah. Like I said, if you're asking who you should start a team with, I'd, I'd say Embiid because Embiid's younger and, and, and you got his prime years. But I don't know, man. KD could come out and put 40 on any defender's head on any given night. Um, but I do think Embiid hey, is Ram, just, hey, Ram asked a rhetorical question. He's like, Embiid's better. Okay. And it's your opinion. I, I, I just think – I think Embiid right now can put his footprints all over a game more than KD could on, 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 on the Sixers. I don't know. I, I think right now the better player is probably Kevin Durant. Just from like a, a pure all-around player perspective, I think it's probably Kevin Durant. Um, that's just me. Um, now let's talk about our, thren- our friends at, fr- at Thrive Fantasy. Come hashtag prop up. 
on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app uh, for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top-tier athletes in a respective sport. If it's the NFL, I know we're a long way away from that, but if it is the NFL, um, choose 10 of the 20 uh, player prop options to build your lineup. If it's NBA, MLB, PGA, or even eSports, choose five out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points... Uh, to, the more points this selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack, rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Um, use promo code Simmons for three. That's Simmons for the word four F O R three T H R. No, the three is the number three. So it's Simmons, the word four, number three, all one word. When you sign up today, and you'll receive an instant deposit match up to fifty bucks on your first deposit of twenty dollars or more. Download. The Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting the website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Brock, um, so they're a game and a half out now, um, and Milwaukee's right on their tails. Milwaukee plays the Hawks tonight. Um, so we'll see how that goes. The Milwaukee thing is already sort of done with. There's not much they can do about that other than just control their own destiny. Um, so I, I think now the focus has to be, well, how do we avoid the three seed? And I'm curious. So like, I, there's not, is there a first round team that really concerns you? No. Okay. There, no. there are for me. There's one team. Who Who is you is it? You're going to say Miami, Miami heat. That's the, team, that's the only team that concerns me. Cause I do think that, um, Jimmy Butler has been preserving an, an extra gear since his, um, you know, legendary finals run. And I think that that heat team, they, that, they, they, they don't always function at the same level at the same time like they did last season, but they do have guys that can hurt you on any given night. Um, and I think Adebayo is very versatile. I think, I think it could be problematic. Um, I don't know who I'd pick in that series yet. Obviously, I think the Sixers have been more consistent this season, but I, I just, I would not want to play the Heat in the first round. At full health, I don't give a damn about the Miami Heat. I don't. If Ben Simmons, Tobias, and Embiid are healthy, I don't think there's a way Miami matches up with the Sixers. You could talk about their athleticism, how much depth they have on the wing. You've got Ariza, you've got Precious Size, you've got Bam, who, like we talked about last podcast, is a multi positional defensive player of the year candidate. You've got Jimmy. You've got a ton of length. Iguodala, Kendrick, none. They don't concern me. At full health, the Sixers are going to bully any team in the first round. The problem will be if they have to play Milwaukee in the second round and then have to play the Bucks in the third round. That's where the problems come. Or, or, or in, the, in, the Eastern, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Whatever. Same difference. 14-game series. But – in the first round, there's really nobody that concerns me for any three for for any of the top three seeds. Like that's not even for the Sixers. Uh, Miami did a really good job with building that wall against Giannis and keeping their defense strung up and everything like that. But Milwaukee's the second best three point shooting team in basketball, and I don't think Miami has anybody to guard Giannis. Bam's done it successfully in his career, but if Giannis continues to play like this, there's nobody in the game that can defend him. 
So he's just going to continue penetrating, driving and kicking. And if the Bucks are on, they're on. Drew Holiday defensively helps a lot more than Eric Bledsoe does. So Drew can rock with Jimmy. He can rock with Duncan. He can rock with Hero. He can rock with a whole breadth of players. And Chris Middleton's kind of like Tobias. It's like who on Miami is going to stop Chris Middleton from getting 20 on 50% shooting. You know what I mean? And for Brooklyn, if they're healthy, I also don't think there's a team that should give them problems with the first round either. Yeah, the if, if Brooklyn has any kind of problem in the first round, there's bigger issues at play here. Um, it would it would I, just be if they can't if the if there's a lack of chemistry, if there's a lack of on court chemistry, because you're taking guys that played what six games together, yeah. all three of them, and putting them on the court. But that might not apply to James, Kai, and KD because you're talking about three of the most gifted offensive players in the game. I will tell you this: if the Sixers win the East as a two or three seed. They'll be exhausted after winning those two series, but they will have been through a much harder gauntlet of teams than they would have had to play in the finals. Like, I don't think anyone in the, in the West poses the sort of challenges to the Sixers that either of the two teams that they're battling with in the East would. I mean, like, well, LeBron's LeBron, but that, that Lakers team, I think, is a, outside of, like, LeBron is a very favorable matchup. Okay, with, with who? Sixers. Here, well, here, here's the thing, right? If the Sixers were in the West and they had to play, they were a 2-3 seed and they had to play three series before they got to the finals and it was, you got to see AD and Drummond and then you got to see Rudy Gobert. Like, if you had to see a whole bunch of real good defensive centers, then it's a problem. It, it's a problem for Embiid. But, I mean, physically, I don't see how he'd be too exhausted after a few series in the East because if they play the Knicks, who's defending Embiid? Like, like who's making Embiid work down there? Just it's not going to be Nerlens Noel. It's not going to be Mitch Robinson. It's not going to be Obi Toppin. If they play the Hawks, who's making them work down there? Clint Capella, maybe. One of the best offensive rebounders in basketball. I still love Embiid against Clint Capella. They've got bodies off the bench, but nobody to stop Embiid. Like in the East, who are you going to play with a big man that's really going to give him big no, physical I'm, problems? I'm it, two series, the two series that are going to be hard is if you're the Sixers in the two seed or the three seed, and you got to go through Milwaukee and you got to go through Brooklyn to to, to get there. Yeah. Um, and but I think that's a bigger gauntlet than anything they'd face in the West in the finals. Like I just do. Um, now let me ask you this: so like I'm thinking through these matchups and. Who who would you rather play in which order? The Bucks or the Nets? The Bucks and the Nets. In which in which in which order? I almost want to say the Bucks before the Nets. Or, or, or my apologies. I almost want to say the Nets before the Bucks because if the Sixers come out and beat the Nets, they know they could beat anybody. If they beat the Nets in a series before they go to the Bucks. They know they could be anybody. We just took down James, Kai, and KD. We're the baddest in the league. Nobody can nobody can run with us. So I almost want to see. I'd rather them play Brooklyn than the Bucks. And think about it, right? Embiid and Ben are going to have to be defending Giannis. But more importantly, like Embiid, he, he might not have to work as much against Brooklyn as he would against the Bucks. Like Brook Lopez shouldn't give him problems, but he might draw Giannis for a few possessions. They might zone up. They might do something interesting with Embiid. 
So I just think physically he might have a tougher matchup with Milwaukee than he would with Brooklyn because Brooklyn doesn't have anybody to guard Embiid. He'll foul Ty, he'll, he'll fight, he'll foul Johnson out, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, anybody. He'll foul them all out. So I'd rather play the Nets than the Bucks. You beat them, you get that confidence. We'll beat anybody. Okay. Um, Justin says, what about the Suns? The Suns disappointed me today. I, I, I thought they were a better team than they are. Um, that I mean, they're still, they have a very good record, but they got out. They, I mean, they got basically embarrassed by a, a Brooklyn team that didn't even, that was down. It's bet one of it, you know, one of its two best players. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know about them. Jerry's still out on them. I, I picked them to go to the finals if it wasn't the Lakers. Um, a couple weeks ago, and I'm not so sure about them anymore. We shall see. Um, Aram says, for sports betting, do you think this is a time when teams start intentionally losing games to get better playoff matchups? Yes, absolutely. Right now, uh, the teams that I wouldn't touch um, are like the Blazers, the Sixers, and, um, you know, like, the Mavericks. The thing is, I, I I actually don't think so. I actually don't think so, because I, you got to think this is I, this is really the this is really the first season they've implemented the playing tournament. Last year it was kind of threw in on on the fly, but this year, like teams knew ahead of the season, there's a playing. So take the Wizards for example. Like the Wizards might be cool with where they are because they're like, we just get in the play and we're straight. We don't have to do anything right now. I mean, how many teams want to play Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook? Or how many teams want to play Steph in the play-in or Luka in the play-in? So I think that kind of throws everything off this year because it's like, whereas in the past you might have had teams settling for spots or it's like, okay, we don't have to play our starters on this night because we're cool in this spot. I think the play-in tournament changes everything because you could lose your spot like that. Yeah. um... Listen, I'm not the guy to ask. For, for betting or gambling advice because I'm a I'm a straight I'm a straight degenerate and that's why I don't gamble. So maybe Krell on behalf of Thrive Thrive Fantasy can help you out with those questions a little better. I would say the teams that you're like sure it's a surefire easy call as if like whoever Oklahoma City is is playing, bet on them to cover <laughs> spread. That's just bet on the bet on OKC's opponent to cover the spread every game. Um, yeah, they come out tomorrow off of a 12-game losing streak and be- beat the Sixers with them beating Tobias by 14. Tell you something. <laughs> something. That would be when you just delete Twitter for a little while. That would be the I, That's why I've been staying. I said after the first game, we're going to be going through a battle. All of these games are nationally televised. We're going to be going through a battle. And luckily, the Sixers, they actually killed it for the first half of this national TV schedule. Uh, they fell apart towards the back end due to injury and, and, and travel and the schedule and whatnot. But, I mean, you asked me what my level of concern was earlier, and I told you it's non-existent. I stand by that. Yeah. So getting back to my original question to you about, like, which order would you want to play them? Mm-hmm. If you want to see this core in, in, together past this year, you want to go uh, Milwaukee and then Brooklyn. I don't think anyone's beating – Brooklyn, I just don't. I, I, I just, I just don't see it anymore. Um, and I think the Bucks um, are the team that you know you have a chance against in the in the semifinals. So I mean, if you beat the Bucks, 
you'll probably take your lumps, but you'll ultimately survive it. You'll get to a, a point where you haven't gotten yet with Embiid and Simmons in their careers. And then maybe, and then I guess you bow out to the Nets in five, six games, whatever it is. Um, unless like something catastrophic happens to the Nets, which I mean, people then are going to say that's an asterisk next to it. So whatever. Um, but I'll tell you this. The thing that concerns me most about a Brooklyn series is number one, I don't trust Doc to make adjustments because he hasn't shown any ability to like move away from players that aren't playable. Like, like Mike Scott is somehow still in the rotation with this team. I don't get it. He somehow still is. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know how long it takes Anthony Tolliver or anyone to learn the coverages that Mike Scott apparently knows. But for whatever reason, he's very keen on and 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 trusting in in Mike Scott. So if, if he if he's that if he's that confident in Mike Scott, here's my problem. They switch the Sixers switch like I think like one through three or one through four early in games, whatever it is, and. What that's going to do is it's going to make Brooklyn target Seth Curry, which is going to be very problematic for for the Sixers. So are then are they going to go and adjust by putting Matisse in the starting lineup? Then you're going to have a, an offensively challenged Matisse Thibel, an off an offensive Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to get with Ben as three fifths as two fifths of your starting five. I I I, I just don't. <laughs> They're getting to you, Krell. They're getting to you, Krell. No, no one, no one, They're no getting one, to you, Krell. No, no, no one's getting to me. I just think that, like, if 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 Doc says no, we'll live with that. Like, 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 fuck it. We'll 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 just. I don't know. I don't know where these uh, these Doc Rivers can't adjust takes come from. I, mean, I really can't. don't. Is that he does, dude? Why is like, Mike? There have been times this season where. Doc's went to the two-three zone, and it's won the Sixers games. There have been times where Doc's seen the hot hand and been like, "Our starters are on a fourteen-to-two run, or, or not our starters, our second units on a fourteen-to-two run. I'll keep these boys in here, no, and they I'm tie kidding. it up, put the starters back, and they win. Or, or it's like keeping Doc in his, keeping Dwight Why? in his second unit role. Like these are adjustments, and and people keep saying he doesn't adjust. I don't get that. But here's my counter. Brock. Here's my counter. Brock, Brock, Brock. Why Look, is Mike Scott in the rotation? Here's my counter, right? And Bede's missed 19 games, right? Dwight Howard has more technical fouls than games played. He, I think he leads the NBA in personal fouls, right? If Dwight Howard gives you three fouls in his five minutes of play and Embiid's not there, who else is going to play? There's no one over 6'7". Doc said it in the interview. I'm the second tallest guy out here. So it's circumstantial, right? There's no Tony Bradley. You, you had to make that trade to get George Hill. Dwight gets in foul trouble and Bede's not playing. You've got no bigs. Paul Reed's not NBA ready. And there's no other bigs on the roster. Maybe you could put Simmons at the five, but you need him playmaking. You need him facilitating. You can't really play the five if there's no Tobias or Embiid. So could, could Anthony Tyler do that much do that much more damage than Mike Scott can? Is Mike, no, but is, the problem is Anthony Tolliver's 34 and hasn't played basketball in a year. So he's he, you, you got to bring him up to speed a little bit. And Mike Scott just drop a guy out there. That's why we have this issue. <laughs> the issue is and, that and Anthony Tolliver's only been here for five games. All so, I'm saying is that I think, I think the Nets line up in a way, and I think that the Sixers' natural game strategy from a, from, from a defensive standpoint lines up for a scenario where it's just Kyrie – against Seth Curry one-on-one throughout the first right. quarter. But let me ask you this, right? 
How many minutes does Embiid play a game in the playoffs? Specifically, let's go against Brooklyn. 36, 38. All right. How about Ben? 36 to 40. Okay. How about Tobias? 34 to 38. Okay. How many minutes are in a game? 102. I don't know. 48. 48 48 minutes. 48 minutes in a game, right? Yeah. You basically just told me those three are going to be playing 38 minutes, right? That means there's 10 minutes. If you lose your game in 10 minutes, that those three aren't on the floor, because Kyrie's attacking Mike Scott in those minutes, like that's just not going to happen. Doc's not going to play Mike Scott for more than 10 minutes in a playoff game, I don't think, unless the Sixers are killing them or or, or the game flow says he has to. But right now, like you got to make it through the regular season. You got to keep guys fresh. You got to keep legs fresh. You don't want to get guys hurt. You got to make it through this this marathon. So right now you're seeing a lot more Mike Scott than you probably like, and I think it'll go away in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not confident that Doc keeps him playing 25 minutes a night in the playoffs. So we'll end the podcast with this. A scale of one to, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being just losing sleep anxious. It sounds like you're a, you're a zero or a one on the concern level. I'm a zero. I'm a straight zero. One would be too much. Okay. I'm a straight zero. I, I, I've seen what I had to see. I've already seen what I had to see. Nothing in these last 15, 20 games are going to tell me anything I haven't already seen. Okay. I would say I'm probably a two. They're getting to you, Crow. That's not even that concerned. I think it's a reasonable level of concern to have. No, it is. And 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 you've been you've been you've been rocking with the Nets for I think this entire season. You you've said the Nets were going to win come out of the East this entire season, no? I thought you said the Nets were coming out of the East a few weeks ago. Pro- well, yeah, but that wasn't this whole season. That was a couple weeks ago. That was a week All ago. Right, well, uh, my point stands. As the season right. ends, you're rocking with the Nets to come out of the East. All right. Now, Brock, I can't say the same. Where can they find you? Twitter, Landis, Brock, YouTube, Brock, Landis. Wow. Way to uh, just get right to it. Um, hey. I am Austin Krell, NBA Krell on Twitter. You can find me there. I cover the Sixers on a day-to-day basis for the painted lines. As always, thank you for tuning in, everybody. We hope you have a good night. Um, I do want to mentioned the, the the unfortunate um passing of, of terrence clark obviously a very sad uh sad week um i believe he's the second college player to pass away in a car accident since the tournament so um i, I, I don't know why that's happening but those moments certainly sober you up a little bit and make you realize that this is just a silly game that we all work in or observe or enjoy for entertainment and um you know that these are real lives, and these athletes are people. And um, obviously, it's it's terrible what happened to him. You you feel for his family, um, and you know he was supposed to get drafted, uh, and according to a lot of mock drafts. So I hope the league, um, you know, does some things to make up for what Terrence could have been able to do for his family. Obviously, they would much rather have their their son, brother, nephew, uncle, whatever, um, instead, but. Um, you know, it's a big loss for that whole family. So thoughts and prayers to his family. And um, let's, let's take it out on a quiet note with that.